Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of The New Standard. And as always, I have my partner in crime to my left, Neil Step. Excuse me, Neil Kulong. Um, how are you doing, Neil? I'm doing great, Lance. I hope you are as well. It's a beautiful day. We're uh, we're excited to talk some Steelers football here this early Thursday morning in Pittsburgh for me. Yeah, in a very early uh, Thursday morning uh, for me on the West Coast. I already flubbed within the first... Uh, 10 seconds of the show so but uh i don't think that's going to be the nature of this show we're going to have a fantastic show but before we jump into the show i want to wish a happy veterans day to all of the service people service men and women who have served this country uh we thank you for your service and we thank you for the sacrifice uh that you have made to this country i want to particularly um send a happy veterans day to all of my family members my grandfather and multiple uncles and cousins and so on who have served. So I want, again, wish a happy Veterans Day to everyone out there at the Steelers Nation. And before we hop into the show, I also want to give a shout out to show sponsor High Bar Apparel. Make sure you go to highbarapparel.com. Also, if you want to join the show, we have numerous ways you can do it. Hop on the podcast. There's a variety of podcast links, podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Also, you can go to YouTube and join us with the program by doing a search for Lance Williams and the New Standard or doing a search for Neil Kulong and the New Standard. So let's hop right into it, Neil. Jump into uh, some of the news and notes and injuries for this upcoming game against the Detroit Lions. It sounds as if um, leading into the week, they've, they've uh, they've managed to steer pretty clear of most things. We aren't sure yet on uh, Chase Claypool's availability. That's going to be uh, definitely something to monitor. But I would say once again, Lance, the question is whether Zach Banner uh, will or will not uh, be able to participate. For the sake of the Steelers moving forward, I think it would be ideal if Banner could get out there simply uh, because what we're seeing on a week-to-week basis is – a team that I, I think fairly can be described as one that does not have their best offensive line out on the field. As it is, uh, Claypool did not practice. Um, that's not a good thing for Wednesday. Ben Roethlisberger got uh, probably more of a veteran day off, but they are still listing the uh, the peck and the right shoulder injury as the reasons why he did not practice. Robert Spillane um, was listed as an ankle injury, but he was a full participant as was Isaiah Bugs. You might remember he left the game early with a hip injury in the win over Chicago. And Cam Hayward uh, went down for a little bit and took the breath away from Steeler Nation. But uh, he was a full practice participant Wednesday. Limited was Eric Ebron with the hamstring injury that's caused him to miss the last two games. I don't think a whole lot of people really miss him in the lineup. Um, and uh, his participation in the game it, moving forward will probably best be described as limited as well so uh that's what they have that's uh that that's fairly good news um the fact that banner is not on there i think um suggests uh, if nothing else he's going to be you know able to play from an injury perspective uh will he or won't he will be the question and i guess we're probably not going to find out about that until uh game day that's a 1 p.m kickoff sunday against the 0 and 8 detroit lions and that's pretty much it, Lance, because I don't have their injury report in front of me. And to be honest, I don't think we know a whole lot of the players who are on that team anyway. So if that matters, I can find that for you and I can read it to you. Yeah, the Lions are sort of like uh, that mystery stew that you get when you <laughs> wake up at home and your, your your mom or your dad threw together some mystery stew and it was all the leftovers in your refrigerator just thrown in a pot and it somehow – they combined and they tasted pretty good, but you don't know any of the ingredients, but it just tastes good because your mom and dad made it and it's just fantastic. No one knows Lions players. I know one particular Lions player, Cal football, baby, Jared Goff. I know, yeah. you know, Jared Goff is the floor. A-Rod, or excuse me, Q-Rod is the, ce- is the ceiling. Um, Q-Rod is the ceiling. Stay Farm Discount Double Check. The interesting thing about that, but not to belabor that real quick, because I want to ask you a question about the Claypool injury, and I'm getting my thoughts on that. The, here's the irony about the whole issue with uh, 
Aaron Rodgers is that I'm sure that the NFL has fined somebody for a uniform violation more money. That's one. And number two, if you have State Farm as your insurance and you lie on a claim, you're going to owe them money. <laughs> you're you're going to be in uh, significant trouble. You may owe them more than Aaron Rodgers owes for his fine, which is the equivalent when you look at the total of his contract of about $35. But I want to get into that. That's his issue. That's the league's issue to manage. But looking at this Claypool injury, I'm thinking, and I'm just going to make it real simple for the listeners. I'm going to say that the Z would be Deontay. He'd be the flanker. Um, The split end, the X would be Washington. Who would be the slot receiver uh, that third receiver, if Claypool indeed is out, or do you think they might go to more 12 personnel, one running back, two tight end? How do you think it will affect uh, the targets and how will they deploy them in the game if Claypool does not play uh, on Sunday against the Lions? You just want to jump in and make us invoke this name right away, huh? Um, yes. A, a couple things of that. Let me start off by saying, um, their personnel decisions are not going to be entirely based on uh, their injuries. If, if they want to run more 12 than 11, it's going to be because of the Detroit Lions, not because okay. of where the Steelers are in terms of injury, uh, barring a, a catastrophe. Now, in game, that might be different. But for, for the sake of what we know right now, um, it, clearly, uh, Ray Ray McDonald is the slot. He's been the slot since uh, Juju went down. A couple weeks ago. Now, how often they're going to utilize Ray Ray McLeod and anything other than a handoff situation remains to be seen. He doesn't get a whole lot of targets. Uh, he doesn't really deserve a whole lot of targets. So I, I think offensively, um, they haven't found what they want to do yet uh, in the absence of Juju with, with kind of uh, what they're trying to do. Uh, with a, a fairly vanilla offense, they're uh, vanilla is probably not the right word. They don't have a whole lot of pop. They're not an explosive offensive team uh, for a variety of reasons. I don't know if any of those reasons are are ones that they can fix, but uh, Ray Ray McLeod is not going to be the answer to that, I can assure you. So it, it, I wouldn't imagine it'd be an emphasis to get him the ball uh, in this game versus any other game. Um, maybe it is. I don't know. It, it it's, uh, depends on what they see. They're looking at film far more intently than I am. They're paid a lot more money to make those decisions than I am. You have to, as players, um, any one of them will tell you they, they have to go out there and trust that the plan uh, that's drawn up is the one that's going to work. And uh, as you've mentioned astutely on this program, many times, um, most things don't work. There's a lot of failure in the game of football. Uh, you're looking to win 12 or 13 plays, really. Um, the other ones are probably just going to be a draw. You're going to split with your opponent. They're pretty equal in the NFL. As, as we saw, I think Monday, um, teams are not all that dissimilar from each other, regardless of what the record uh, record is, regardless of what the buzz about them in social media is. Uh, it, most of the time, teams are fairly competitive with each other. So as far as Ray Ray goes, as far as the slot or 11 personnel goes, what I would say is this. If, if you want to run 12 personnel, you need to be able to run the ball. You know, it, 12 personnel should be more of a running package, which is to say you need to be able to run out of it. Uh, whether you do or not is a different story. If they don't respect you running the ball, it's not that hard to cover tight ends in the slot. They don't move very far. They're not typically all that fast. We are not seeing, as great as Pat Fryermuth has been in tight spaces, we're not seeing a, a field-stretching player. He's not True. that dynamic of a guy. You can get him the ball in short spaces, and he's done a great job with that. They, he's handled everything they've given him, and he's absolutely going to be the primary tight end the rest of the way, and he should be. Uh, we're seeing his targets increase week to week. That's a good thing. Um, the question is how dynamic of an offense can they be with what they have? And to me, that suggests you need probably need to run more 11 than you would 12. And some of that is um, Ray Ray McLeod is just a faster, probably more versatile player than let's say that it's Kevin Rader, uh, who was pulled off right. of the, the practice squad to play last week. Um, it, what if it, it's, it's Zach Gentry? Whatever combination of those two that you would have next to Fryermuth, assuming Ebron can't play. Um, you're not looking at the same level of dynamic ability in, in your passing game uh, as if McLeod was on the field. That says a whole lot. Um, it, I don't think yeah. either one of them are, are especially great options, but you're not playing a great defensive team either. The, the Lions, uh, they're, they're, not, they're, they're not very deep defensively. They're not very good defensively. So it, it's not as if the Steelers uh, need to really you know, 
trick them into a lot of things. I think they're capable of lining up uh, and probably winning more snaps than they'd lose. And I, I think knowing the Steelers and knowing their approach in, in games like this in the past, they're not going to play for a blowout. They're not going to try to beat teams by 28 points because there isn't a point in that. The one thing this offense cannot do is turn the ball over. Well, so let, let's me, wait on. Well, let's wait on that before you break. You before you get into your breakdown, because um, I feel like you're getting into your breakdown, and I want you to to to, to wait a little bit before well, we do. Rounding that. it back to eleven personnel, I just think that there is more uh, ability for them to make a play or two in the short space out of that than they would out of twelve. So uh, Ray Ray, I don't think is is a, a an essential component to the game, but to run that, you have to get him the ball. And uh, to this point, I think he's he's run uh, more handoff stuff than he has, uh, you know, legitimate pass routes where they're, they're looking to get him the ball. He doesn't have a lot of targets this year. Yeah, he's been the jet sweep guy. But before we jump into um, our post-game wrap-up number uh, for the Bears, and I'm going to shift it from, from the Bears game. I'm going to shift it around a little bit. I'm going to give my number first because I think your number that you sent me leads into – some stats that I want to jump into about both teams. But before we do that, big up the Steelers freak. Uh, Steelers freak said he served 28 years in the Army. So uh, thank you for your service, Steelers freak. And I also wanted to mention a comment from Double H. Double H said, happy Veterans Day. Being the son of a former Army Reserve major and surgeon, I know firsthand the pride, risks, and sacrifice that many have made currently in making the defense of this country. So I want to thank you, Double H, and your family as well for the sacrifice uh, that you guys have made in serving this country. And again, big up to all the veterans out there, and thank you for your service. Let me jump into my number. And we like to do this if you're new to the program. We like to do a, a post-game wrap-up number. I call it Neil's number and Lance's number. Because when we do the post-game, we try to do it really quick where it's really fresh. It's sort of a freestyle show. And which is good. I think it captures kind of the energy that you're taking and leaving from the game. But I'm going to give you two numbers. Here are my two numbers from Monday night's game. 35.3 and 4.2. The 35.3 presents, or excuse me, represents the third down conversion percentage made in the game against the Bears. The Steelers were 6 of 17. If you're a team that's not explosive, which is the 4.2, the yards per play, to score and sustain offense, you have to convert third downs. I think what we've seen is this team, in terms of touches and focus and what they want to do, has become more of a Najee Harris-centered offense. In the game on Monday, Najee Harris got 22 carries. I think I don't know how many receptions or how many targets he got in the game. I can look it up real quick. But when you look at the Steelers, they're a Najee Harris game, and he got three targets. So Najee got 25 touches. I think they ran about 69 plays. They ran 66 plays, and he got 25 touches of those. So that's probably about 40%, I'm saying, just roughly. Um, if you're going to be a team that averages 4.2 yards per play, you're going to be run heavy, and your offense is going to center around running the ball and getting the ball to your running back, you're going to have to convert third downs because you're not explosive. You're not getting plays in chunks. Now, it's an approach, but you have to keep the ball. You have to convert third downs because it's going to take you longer to move the ball downfield, which is going to make it more difficult for you to score. So if they're going to continue this approach, they have to convert third downs, and that's why my two numbers are 35.3 and 4.2. What I would like to see moving forward is they get more big plays in the passing game. And we saw in the game on Monday, for them to get into field goal range to win that game, they had to hit a big play. I think this formula is one that can work, but it is one that will only work if they're averaging, I think, 45% or more on third down. You keep the ball, you run more snaps, more plays, and you put yourself in a better position to score. They have to start converting more third downs and averaging more yards per play because 35.3% and 4.2 won't work moving forward if they want to go to the playoffs. What's your number, Neil? My number moving uh, ahead a little bit, looking at the, the, the Lions game, and this is just because I've, I've been studying the Lions, kind of getting a sense of uh, uh, who they are as a team. Two numbers I'm going to put together, two and six. Two games, and this is a weird stat, two games this year, the Detroit Lions have lost 
on 50 plus yard field goals at, at the end of regulation. Um, if either of those kick kicks missed, uh, they're up, they, they have a win in, in either one of those games that was against Baltimore and Minnesota. That tends to be kind of a, you know, you're capable of playing a competitive game type of stat. Uh, took a lot for your opponent to beat you that particular day. On the other hand, though, six is every other game they've played, which is an eight-point or more loss, including a, a disastrous 44-6 to six loss to Philadelphia before their bye week. That was the last game they played. Um, if it were me and I was head coach Dan Campbell of the Lions, I would not have made uh, the post-bye week practices very easy for them. I, I think they're going to come out – uh, with quite a bit of of aggression in this game. This is really the point in time, and I've said this a couple times, you get on a losing streak in the NFL, it, it's no longer about your pride. It's no longer about what your fans think of you. Now it's about keeping your job. Now it's about putting on good film uh, for when you're cut and have to go explain to somebody else why an 0-17 team didn't think that you were good enough to come back the next year. They need to put good film down in order to stay in, in the NFL. That's a personal thing. You don't want to take your kids out of school. You don't want to move from your house. You don't want to have to, to be a vagabond or throughout the, the entire season. That is something that, that teams tend to be you know thinking about when they're on these losing streaks. You get good games from bad teams. I understand that they haven't won a game. I don't think there really is uh, a, a team that is dramatically worse than one another in the NFL. And it certainly is not the Pittsburgh Steelers and anybody. The Steelers have won their last two games on uh, maybe not last second field goals, but late drives uh, that they had to have to win. They've given up those late drives and been able to pull off victories. They've needed dramatic plays to win. This is it, it's a five and three team. There's no doubt that it's a five and three team, uh, but that very easily could be three and five. Very easily could be two and six. They're not far from that. So to act as if the Detroit Lions are a, a vastly inferior team it is ridiculous. Don't think for a second this is, the Steelers are capable of overlooking anybody in the NFL, uh, even the worst team in the league. The Steelers are not the best team in the league. They are far from the best team in the league. They are not that far from the Lions. I'd say they're a lot closer to Detroit than to whoever the best team is in the NFL in this weird season. Arizona, call them that. They're, the Steelers are not at that level, and they can't look past this. And I would think this is the type of game Dan Campbell, in his first year as head coach, needs to make a statement with his players that we're all in on this in my way. We're going to do this my way. Do it or or you're gone. And that includes the coaching staff as well. So uh, you're going to get a good effort from the Lions uh, in this game. And I don't think they're that far away from notching their first victory this season. I, I would think they feel pretty confident coming into to Heinz Field to play a Steelers team that hasn't really beaten anybody convincingly yet this year. You make some solid points. And let me give you some numbers to back up your point that there's not much difference between these two teams. If you look at yards, the Lions are averaging 321 yards per game, which is 26th. The Steelers are averaging 324. The Lions are averaging five yards per play, which is 28th. The Steelers are averaging 5.1. In terms of yards per attempt in passing, the Lions are averaging 6.5, which is 29th. The Steelers, 6.6, .6, which is 27. In terms of running the football, they're both running it about 20, 23 to 24 times per game. In terms of yards per game, rushing, Lions are averaging 93.1, which is 26. The Steelers are 88.4, which is 28th. Yards per carry, the Lions are 4.1, which is 20th in the National Football League. The Steelers are 3.6, which is 29th. The only significant difference on offense is the points per game. And both aren't good. The Lions are averaging 17 points per game, which is 29th. And the Steelers are averaging 20 which is 23rd, and some of that is the special team score against the Bills, which would take the number down a little bit. It's probably closer to 18 and a half true offensive points. With that being said, your point, Neil, is spot on. Offensively, these teams are pretty much mirror images of each other. There's not much difference, and that's the interesting thing about the National Football League and you say it all the time, is that there's not much difference between these teams. 
These are all professional teams staffed by professional solid coaches. And a lot of times games twist and turn based on small plays like the Ray Ray McLeod idiotic fumble play where he takes it out of the end zone. So when you look at this Detroit game, they're winless, but they're not like getting blasted and destroyed every single game in every week. So I think this is going to be a very tough game. So give me your keys and break this game down a little bit for us, Neil. The the thing is with Pittsburgh, we've we've seen, and somebody mentioned this in the comments earlier, historically, um, I don't know if this relates necessarily, but a a good Steelers team is a team that knows how to run the ball, is capable of running the ball uh, situationally, probably more than anything else. They pushed that, I think, on Monday. They really wanted to be a running team. They went against a, a good defensive line, a good run-stopping unit in Chicago, and they lost. So, uh, I mean, they won the game. I mean, they lost in terms of rushing. They did not run the ball well. Uh, Chicago won that battle if we were to break it down. I would think the Steelers would want to try that again, and they're going to need to challenge their offensive line to come out firing the way that they had uh, in previous weeks. They had run the ball pretty well uh, in a couple games leading into that. They are going to want to stay on the field as long as possible in this game. Um, it is very difficult in this NFL in particular, the same way that it was 25 years ago, to score seven points on 10-plus yard drives, 10-plus play drives. Uh, there are only so many of those you're going to be able to do against NFL defenses. You're going to screw up at some point. Uh, they might not make as big a mistake as you. You might turn the ball over. You can give up sacks. It, it's hard to have long, sustained drives, but the Steelers don't have great playmakers uh, with or without Claypool they are not a big play offense and they're not going to be anytime soon. They need to win the war of attrition up front. It's going to come down to their offensive line uh, versus Detroit's defensive line. And that that's a battle that they, they can win. I, I don't think it, the offensive line, um, it, they're, they're clearly not the best unit in the league, but they are capable of beating a team like Detroit. They're, Detroit is not athletic up front. They don't have a great pass rush anyway. I think the Steelers would want to run at them, control the clock, try to get a takeaway on defense and make this a very one-dimensional game. Um, Probably the result of that is going to be a low-scoring affair, which is something we've seen uh, over the last couple weeks. I think they got away with a little bit against Chicago. Two games in a row, they've gotten off to a hot start, taken a decent lead in the locker room and all but lost it in the second half. They're going to play a balanced game throughout because that's just kind of how they are. They they haven't shown uh, many times anyway that they are capable of playing well on both sides of the ball. Uh, for four quarters. In fact, that hasn't happened. I don't think either unit has shown maybe twice with the defense uh, that they're capable of drive in and drive out, uh, getting the better of their opponents. So to me, possession is going to be key to this. They're going to need to get Najee Harris and the run game going. Um, And along with that, Matt Canada has done a great job, I think anyway, of mixing things up, adding some variety to boost those rushing yards without your primary running back. He plays the wide game on the field very well. He's utilized receivers, even tight ends in handoff situations. We've seen a lot of tight end screens, which are really running plays to, to bigger guys you wouldn't expect to get the ball. Things like that, uh, they, they help keep a defense off balance a little bit. I think Canada's done a great job of utilizing what is generally not all that talented of an offense. They really aren't. And they have a bad offensive line. They're doing the best job that they can to maintain possession. I think that has to be the focus for them this week. Your offensive line, I don't want to say has to win the game for you, but they, they need to make it competitive. The last week they almost lost because of it. Um, it. It's obvious that their defense can't be counter on for an entire half to, to really shut a team down uh, at least twice in one game. That, that's what happened the last two weeks. Defense did a great job in the first half and largely fell apart in the second half. I, I would imagine um, Detroit's noticed that, and I would imagine their plan is going to be uh, to attack them aggressively on the defensive side of the ball. So the Pittsburgh is going to need to counter that by keeping them off the field as much as they can get Harris going, get the offensive line going and hold on to the ball. Key thing to all of this that we have, you know, I, I didn't think that we'd say at any point this season, four game winning streak, Ben Roethlisberger has not turned the ball over in four straight games. I don't think that's a coincidence. They have no room for error when it comes to that. They cannot turn the ball over and knock on wood. They've gotten good things uh, in that regard out of Najee Harris but your, your quarterback fumbling the ball is usually a byproduct of your protection. And Ben Roethlisberger doesn't get good protection. He needs to be smart when he's throwing the ball. He needs to live to punt. It's okay if it's 
third and 12 and they're not running five guys past the sticks and in, in uh, a zero protection, basically, they're going to have to to minimize risks, take what they can and try to force uh, the mistakes to be made when their defense is on the field. I was talking to my friend, John Davis, pick up J.D., uh, from Detroit, and uh, he's a big, he's a pseudo Lions fan. He's he's um, he's sort of a the autumn wind is a Raider fan, and sort of a Lions fan. He he's a long, true and true Detroit native. What up, though? And he said basically the only explosive player or only decent offensive weapon that they have is T.J. Hawkinson. And when you look at Detroit. I mean, it's a tough watch. I mean, you know, Detroit's a tough watch. I think one thing that stands out from a numbers perspective is they're giving up close to three sacks per game. They're getting sacked on about 6.9% of their dropbacks, which is 22nd in the league, and they've allowed 23 sacks. If you look at this team defensively, the one thing I think they do fairly well, not as good as they have in past years because you don't have it and you don't have a Lulu and you don't have Bud Dupree, uh, is they do get sacks. The Steelers do get after the quarterback pretty well. Um, I think what they have to do, if they can get some pressure, if they can limit their running game and get some pressure, I think they put themselves into good positions. The Lions don't particularly run the football very well, but I think what you're saying is when you have two teams like this that struggle like this offensively and both aren't explosive, it's a turnover game. You know, if it's, it's a turnover game and a possession game, if they can possess the ball, not turn the ball over, I think they'll be in good position. Let me ask you one question here. I've heard a lot of stuff or read a lot of stuff on Twitter, seen some stuff on the four letter network and some other stuff about the dreaded word trap game. And I'm going to put this in, in, in the live chat as well. Is this a trap game, Neil? And, and define what a trap game is before you give me your thoughts on if this is a trap game. A, a trap game to others, to others, is a game in which uh, you're, you're, you tend to be a heavy favorite. And it, it's something that the perception is, because this team isn't all that good, you're overlooking them to the rest of the season. You're on a four-game winning streak. This is your, your seven-and-a-half-point favorites per Tipico, which is what I saw right before we came on the show. This is a game the Steelers should win, and you've all but accepted that they're going to win. And then they don't. That The, the trap game mentality comes from the past, which is other situations in which uh, you as a fan was overconfident, not the team. The team isn't going to approach this as if, you know, wow, we don't care about the Detroit Lions. They're getting paid a lot of money to do the things that they're doing. And if they don't do it, they're out of a job. They, they are reminded of that, I'm not joking, on pretty much a minute-to-minute -minute basis when they're there. They are highly motivated by the coaching staff that's in the same position that they're in. If they don't win, they don't get paid, and they, they're, they're out of a job. They have to focus on what they have in front of them for sure. And I think, by and large, the teams that are, are best able to do that are the ones that have the most success. But in their minds, there are no trap games. Um, they're getting hit either way. It hurts either way. The record of the opponent had absolutely nothing to do with the guy who tore his ACL. The guy who didn't yeah. prepare, who wasn't in shape and didn't play well, the record of the team they played against didn't matter when he got cut the next day. They don't have the mindset that fans do. They don't have the mindset that gamblers do. The Pittsburgh Steelers, in, in their mindset, they may as well be playing the Super Bowl champion right now. It doesn't make a difference to them. They have to go out and execute what they're told to do. Now, Mike Tomlin is ultimately the one that oversees all of that. He bears that responsibility. What, again, I, I said this earlier in the segment, the, the problem that I have with this being considered a trap game is that people think the Steelers are that much better than the Lions. And I'm telling you, they're not. They're not that good of a team. They've done a phenomenal job winning close games, winning games that you could see going either way against some teams that, you know, statistically might have not been as, as strong as the top teams in the game. They've played close. They're not playing down to their competition. They're at the level of that competition. They're not that much better than the Seattle Seahawks. I, I thought the Bears played really well, especially in the second half. Justin Fields looked like a damn all-pro. That kid's a stud. He's really good. He had a great half. Arthur Millette helped that. I think there was you know, perhaps some, some breakdowns there that they need to fix. That certainly helps. But it just goes to show the Steelers are not that much. They're, they're not a dominant team in the NFL. 
they're not just going to show up and beat anybody. I don't care who they are. So the idea that this is a trap game is nonsense to me because they're not better than the Lions are. It's not as if they, they have way more than the Lions do. The Lions aren't a good team. Don't get me wrong. I, I would pick the Steelers to win. But I'll say this. I'm taking Detroit plus seven and a half in that game easily. I don't think Pittsburgh is really eight points better than anybody. So it, it, it to me, it's not a trap game. We will only hear about how Mike Tomlin plays down to the competition if they lose or if they win and it's close, we'll still hear the same thing. I'm telling you now, it's probably going to be a close game because Pittsburgh is not that good of a team yet. They're building, they're improving, they're better than they were in weeks one and two for sure, but they're not at a level yet where you can expect them to just show up and roll whoever it is that they're playing. Let's jump into a couple of the comments from the people in the live chat. And thank you, everybody, in the live chat. If you're in the live chat, please hit the like button. And if you catch this program later, please hit the like button. And if you're listening to the show and you haven't subscribed, please do both subscribe and like. Ali Howard Species 5618 said, no such thing as a trap game in the pros, in my opinion. I agree somewhat. But but in listening to what Neil said, this is where I, I, I'll disagree with Ali. I think there is... There are, I should say, trap games in the NFL. But I think the key point to that is there has to be a discernible difference between the teams. So take, for instance, if the Buccaneers were playing the Lions, I would say that was a trap game because the Buccaneers, in my opinion, are clearly better than the Lions and should be favored by multiple scores. Let's jump into a couple comments couple other comments. Double H brought up a great point. Last week was NFL Trap Week. Um, a lot of favorites uh, got beat. Um, Three seven-point underdogs won straight up, and a, a fourth came damn close on Monday night. Yeah, anytime that the uh, the Bills get beat by the Jags uh, nine to six, um, it's definitely a <laughs> trap week. And speaking of the Jags, and you know, I hate to give gambling tips, but uh, you know, and I don't encourage anyone to gamble on the national football league, but uh, always bet um, always take Jacksonville or, or who they're playing and give the points. I call it the Jacksonville strategy. It's a strategy that I've given my brother for the last two to three years. And he's won a ton of games. It's just a bet you make every week, the Jacksonville strategy uh, big up to Melvin. And Oh, also I want to wish Melvin's mom a happy birthday. Uh, Mama Mel, big up. Happy birthday. Hopefully, Sonny is, is is treating you right. If you're not in the same city, he's showing you some love and you guys are doing something. Uh, so so big up to Mel's mom. And Mel wrote, no, in order to be a trap game, you have to be confident in your team. There is no way this team could look past my high school team that is number one in Tennessee. We are way too inst- inconsistent to look past anyone. And, and that's what Neil said. I mean, this team is what it is. You saw the stats that we laid out, or you heard the stats that we laid out. You know these teams are are are, are very similar. I mean, they're almost carbon copy of each other um, in terms of their offense. They're very similar. Um, Wes Hickok chimed in and said, "I agree that the Pittsburgh isn't significantly better than Detroit." Having said that, even as an aging QB, Ben is way better than Jared Goff, in my opinion. I'm not sure. Look, I'm look not at sure. their stats, Wes. This is really interesting to me. Look at their stats. They're almost carbon copies of each other. Very, very similar. Um, I would give the edge to Ben, but I don't think there's a point in, in trying to describe which one is better. Uh, they are largely the same quarterback, it, statistically speaking. I Yes, I, you know we're not going to talk about Super Bowl rings or any of that crap. It has nothing to do with 2021 uh, Week 10. Jared Goff is not playing... Uh, exceptionally worse football than Ben Roethlisberger is right now. Ben is, I think, getting comfortable. Um, He's improving, but I don't know about you guys, but he's a game away from disaster. It's been like that every week. It's going to be like that every week. He's very limited physically. There's not a whole lot that he is able to do. Goff is hamstrung from a a complete lack of weapons on their offense. They don't have anything. Um, I I did want to get back to um, uh, – Hawkinson, TJ Hawkinson, who and maybe this is an offseason bit that we can do, Lance. If we were to look back over the players that I really wish the Steelers had drafted and had a reasonable chance to draft, Hawkinson would be the tight end of that team for me. Absolutely love the guy as a player. He was a great prospect. Uh, he would he's turning into it 
I think he would have been even better in Pittsburgh uh, with the way that they have uh, taught and the way that they have emphasized three down tight ends over the years. Hawkinson would have been a, a, a clone for any great tight end uh, who played three downs over the NFL uh, the last 30 years, in my opinion. Um, he's a great player. He's a dangerous weapon, but they don't have anything else. They, they're not stretching the field any better than Pittsburgh is. So it, as far as Goff, he's a very limited player. Um, I don't think he's very smart. I'm sorry, Cal Bears, but Goff, uh, Goff ran out of favor in Los Angeles largely because Sean McVay had to do everything for him, and Sean McVay got sick of doing it. So they traded him and got a quarterback now who's playing at an MVP level. I don't think that's a coincidence. Goff is um, not physically limited the way Ben is. He's probably more mentally limited uh, in terms of depth and personnel. Their offense is more limited perhaps than Pittsburgh's is. Uh, but by and large, both of them are handling uh, those limitations in a very similar way. I think Ben is, is, you know, Ben would get the edge in my book, but let's not act like they're they're facing, um, you know, it, they're not facing anything significantly worse than they have to overcome throughout the course of a game, which is why I think this is going to be a lower scoring, uh, more competitive game than, than what a lot of fans I'm seeing are, are thinking that it will be. Let's take a look at this comparison of their stats, and I'm just using ESPN stats. I'm going to use the big four stats that they have here. In terms of QBR, Jared Goff is 28.9. I'd have to think that that's pretty much uh, one of the lowest in the league if yeah, you add the rookies. If, um, if, if, the, the problem with QBR – sorry, Lance, I don't mean to cut you off. The problem with QBR worse. is it, basically what it says is it doesn't matter unless you play in close games. You are half of your production is cut off and valueless uh, because your defense can't stop water from running uphill. I don't think that's necessarily an indictment of the quarterback. And it's a stat that makes sense at the middle, but not in the extremes. I think that's where Goff is. His QBR is not going to be very good. And I, I'm not saying that he is a good quarterback, but I would imagine he's the lowest in the league. I don't think he is the lowest passer in the league. It's just his team gets blown out pretty consistently. It happens often. Um, in tight games, though, he's he's been pretty much the same. I, I think he's largely the same player, which, again, is limited. But I don't think he's a complete deterrent to his team's uh, lack of success right now. Let me give you the other stats here. So Ben's QBR is 42.4. His completion percentage is 65.6. Jared Goff's is 66.9. He's thrown for Ben Roethlisberger 1,986 yards. Jared Goff has thrown for 1,995 yards. Goff has also thrown for eight touchdowns. And Ben Roethlisberger has thrown for 10 touchdowns. Looks kind of identical to me. And that's a great point that you brought out. That, yeah, like to Wes's point, I'm not sure. There's, I, I think a lot of times when people look at Ben Roethlisberger, they, they, they mix the past and the present together. And it becomes this. It's all the past. It, it's, it's this elixir. Only thing I'd like to say about Ben Roethlisberger at this point is, did you see Ben Roethlisberger trying to run two yards to get a first down. <laughs> um, yes. Yes, I did. And I, I was laughing so hard I didn't see the end of the play. It, it was it, strategically it didn't matter. Um, the reason they called it is because nobody in the stadium, with the exception of Canada and Ben, thought he was going to do that. And Canada might not have even known he was going to do that. Um, it, it was – you could see why he did it. They're in good field goal range. You want the first down. I think Ben was trying to catch them off guard because once again, nobody on earth thought he was going to, to run the ball at the same, at the same time. I don't think two weeks ago, anybody thought Chris Boswell was going to pass either. And well, I guess he kind of didn't. So um, you, you put all that together. It, it's it, Ben. Ben is not Ben in 2014. He's not Ben from 2007. Um, I, I don't think it takes a genius to figure that out, but what, what Ben gets by on right now is his, uh, it, it's his guile. It's his intelligence. He knows the game. He understands what he's trying to do. And he's eliminated risk. Uh, he does not take risky throws. The problem is he misses on throws. Lance, we were texting during the game. He threw three interception balls early in the game against Chicago. And I think he only passed maybe 10 times in the, in the first half. Um, he, he's gotten away with a few things here and there, not risks, but just, you know, biffs on his part. He, he didn't, make the throw the way that he needed to make it and he's gonna get caught eventually and that that worry he's not gonna go the rest of the season without throwing an interception i don't think if ben throws 
uh, one pick a game in each of their last four games that they're on a four-game winning streak. That's a really, really thin margin of error. If your quarterback cannot turn the ball over at all, if you're going to win, you're going to have a rough year. And I think that's where they're they're going. I, I, you heard me say it, I don't know how many times, uh, leading into the season, this is a team that's going to have a four-game winning streak and it's going to have two, three-game losing streaks. Most of that is going to, going to come from the fact that they don't have uh, an advantage at the quarterback position anymore. Ben is not good enough to win games on his arm alone. He's got to get a lot of things going for it. That's a lot for a coordinator to have to map out. They have to be close to perfect uh, to make up for their talent differential. They can get away with that against Detroit, but uh, it might be this game and then the last one in a while that they're going to be favored in. I'll say that. Let me give you one last number before we jump into the predictions. And let me read uh, before I do that. Thank you, Steelers Wire, for hopping on. Uh, I love this factoid here that Mike Tomlin is 30 and 32 against the spread when favored by seven points or more. However, 23 and 16 at home in that situation. So I guess that basically says take the points and they'll win. <laughs> so, uh, you know, don't or I should say don't give the points and they should win. Another nice little stat here from Steelers Wire, believe it or not, Ben has a higher average depth of target than Goff, 29.1 versus 26.6. Could, could you explain that one to us, Steelers Wire? What What's the depth? It's not yeah. yards. Yeah, he'll put it up there, and, I, and I'll post it up there. But what it does say still is they're still fairly similar. <laughs> so yeah. they're still fairly similar, which, which paints that picture pretty well. And the last stat I want to give before we jump into the predictions here, and I had it up. And if you look at the AFC North, you have points for, points against. Of course, points for is how many points you've scored and points against is how many that you've given up. The Ravens have scored 221, the Browns 224, and the Bengals 236. The Steelers have only scored 161. Now, they have given up the least amount of points, 169, to the Ravens 195, excuse me, the Browns 196, and the Bengals 203. But here's the big difference. The Steelers are a minus eight. They've given up eight more points than they've scored. So that's the differential number or the difference. The Ravens are a plus 26, the Browns are a plus 28, and the Bengals are a plus 23. That's not sustainable. Let me give you the record of the other teams that have a minus differential. The Jets are two and seven. They're two and six. Their differential number is minus 107. The Dolphins is minus one is minus 87. Their record is two of seven. The Jags are minus 77. Their record is two and six. The Texans are one and eight. Their differential is minus 130. Jeez. The irony to all of this is the Chargers are actually in first place in their division with a minus two-point differential. What it says is that is a dangerous world to live in because I could go through the rest of the list, but every other team that has a negative point differential has a losing record in the National Football League. There's only two with winning records, and that's the Chargers and the Steelers. You don't want to live in that world. That, that is a very inconsistent world to live in. But let's jump into prediction time. Neil, what's your prediction for this ball game? I think the Steelers win. I think it's going to be close. I, it's something like 23-20, uh, probably, somewhere in there. Uh, maybe the defense can can get on its head, 23-17. Um, I, I don't have faith in the Steelers' ability to score points very often. Um, it was said in here in the comments that anytime Ben throws a pick six, they lose. I don't think teams that throw pick sixes have a, a strong winning record in and of themselves. I don't think that's a Ben right, problem. That, I don't think yeah. it's a Steelers problem. Um, one of these teams could do that, and that could swing the game. And to me, it, it's really hard to predict these games uh, because of that. I, they're, they're two not good quarterbacks um, a, against two teams, one of which can, can make some plays on defense but hasn't in their secondary, which is Pittsburgh, and a Detroit team that – uh, has held teams down under 20 points and has given up 40 points a couple times. Um, to, to your point about point differential, it's the thing with the Ravens. Um, it, it, well, how about this? Every team in the division has scored 40 points to this point this season. The Steelers haven't even scored 30. 
You know, they're, yes. they're, they're not a dominant offensive team in any stretch of the imagination. It's not just going to come together. Um, it, it, you know, I think getting 29 against Chicago is probably their high watermark. And that was set up, um, you know, it, a variety of different ways early for them. Um, and a good field goal kicker certainly helps that. I think Chris Boswell to this point makes a, a pretty strong case for team MVP. What we're looking at really, though, is um, I think part of the reason why if, if the Steelers and their their against the spread record is I circumstantial, in my opinion, I don't know how much that really matters. It's not really a trend, but um, if, if they're better at home in those situations than they are on the road, I think largely because it, it's not incredibly often that you get uh, to be a seven plus point road underdog or road favorite. It, it doesn't come up all that often. And most of the time, a team is not going to mess around if that's the case. They're going to lean on somebody, let them screw up and get out of the stadium with a win. That that's Tomlin has managed teams to do that. Uh, good, bad, indifferent. That's he's not looking to, to, to go look at the games that he's lost. For example, I know one that gets brought up all the time for whatever reason, uh, the jets game back. in I think uh, 2014, it was coming off of Ben's uh, hot streak and they fell apart. Antonio Brown, they went forward on fourth down, didn't get it early in the game. Antonio Brown fumbled, which he rarely ever did, gave the Jets the ball. The Jets had two long drives and it scored touchdowns on them and played defense the rest of the way. So to, to win close games, to, to narrow possessions, to limit big play opportunities nullifies a point spread. And I think teams uh, who are big favorites like that prepare themselves to play that kind of a game more than they do to get into a track meet on somebody else's uh, stadium and risk turnovers, risk game flipping plays. Pittsburgh tries to limit those uh, in, in a season like this more than anything else. So to me, I think it's going to be more like that. Uh, a lower scoring game, not all that exciting of a game and whatever team can make plays on defense is the one that's going to win. When I look at this game, I, I think, um, they're essentially the same team. I mean, they basically have the same quarterback. Um, they pretty much have the same offense. I think the defense is on the defensive side of football and the Steelers' ability to get pressure. One matchup I do want to watch is Pene Sewell versus TJ Watt. That should be an interesting matchup. Pene Sewell is a very good player. I thought he's played very well this year. Uh, so that's going to be an interesting matchup. I think the difference will be the Steelers' ability to get pressure and their ability to stop the run. They've played the run pretty well the last several weeks, and I love their ability to get pressure. Um, so I think the Steelers will win the game and because the game is on the road, but I think it will be a tough game. I think it'll be a game that comes down to turnovers and sacks, and I think the Steelers' defense is not appreciably better, but I think it is better. I like the Steelers to win this game, let's say 23-16. I think it'll be a fairly close game. I think it may look a little bit like the Chicago game where the Steelers jump out to a little yep. bit of a lead and kind of hang on towards the end of the game. So it's I'm just going like with 23-16. Give me your score. Like the Denver game. <laughs> Give me your score again, Neil. I said 23-16. I said 23-17. Um, but I, I agree with everything that you said. It, it's it's in line with that. I um, That might even be too much. I mean, it really kind of comes down to, again, if, if either of these teams – can make plays on defense. Um, TJ Watt is, is on a play to play basis about the hottest player in the NFL um, racking up sacks. Like they're going out of style. He's doing it almost kind of uh, quietly the last two weeks, which is how loud uh, of a player he is. He had two sacks in two possessions of the fourth quarter and overtime against Seattle to win the game um, against Cleveland. What do you have sack and a half, I think, and then three this past week. So you're, you're looking at a guy that, that, that is making plays that can make plays uh, he might not even be the best defensive player on the team. So to me, not. if, if TJ Watt and Cam Hayward can do what they've done all season long, they should be able to get a takeaway or two, uh, despite a, a secondary and what used to be an all pro free safety that made plays left and right. Um, it, this might be a good game for Minka Fitzpatrick to step up and make a play. Um, you hope he doesn't push. You hope he doesn't make an aggressive mistake that might cost them the back end that can give up the big play that, that, uh, uh, B2 oftentimes when you're a, a, a heavy home favorite the way the Steelers are. But I think if, if they stay true to who they are and play the game with a sense of discipline and not panic and not try to, to win everything on one play, they should be able to pull it out. But I think it's going to be closer than people think it will. 
And Steeler fans, let me just give you some gambling information or some gambling tips. This is a team that scores 20 points per game. Do not give seven points. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> save exactly. that Save that money for Christmas. You have or, absolutely no reason to think that this defense is going to hold anybody at 12 points or less. You have no reason to think that right now. Save, save that money for Christmas. Let me jump into some of the predictions from some of the guys on the live chat. Um, and big up to Felicia. Give me your prediction as well. Uh, Mel twenty one seventeen. I could see that. Uh, that that's within the realm. Too bad offensive teams not scoring a ton of points. I like this one from West twenty three twenty. Steelers win on a fifty three yard winning field goal from the Wizard of Boz. Love that nickname. To the veteran Steelers freak sixteen to ten with a bottle of Maylox Chaser. I could see that. Absolutely. My uh, and some, out. And some tums. Need, need to go buy more. Tom, tom, tom. And Double H, uh, maybe 23-14, I can see Hawkinson schooling the little bush. Um, Hawkinson's a beast, okay? Yeah, yeah, he, <laughs> he can play. He's yeah, he can really play. good. Hawkinson can play. And big up to Jamie Commit. Um, thank you. Thank you, Jamie. I'm glad to be back. Neil and I are glad to be back. Uh, and thank you, Wes, as well. Uh, before we get out of here, let me give you two last numbers to support what Neil was talking about on defense and what we're talking about for this game is I think the big difference is uh, the Steelers defense is better at getting after the pass. Detroit only has 14 sacks. They're not getting a lot of pressure. And that may be what the doctor ordered for Ben Roethlisberger in this offense. But again, with this offensive line and more starting at tackle, you never know. And I like this prediction from Felicia. If it's 14 and nine, Oh my goodness, there's going to be a lot of Maylocks. It's going to be a lot of Maylocks chaser with the chalky lips and the chalky mouth. Um, it's going to be a crazy post game show, too. Yeah, it's going to be crazy. And it's crazy that uh, we have to watch an 0 and 18, but we love you guys. And that's why we do it. It's a labor of love. But we have two last segments we get out of here. I got a new one. It's called Neil's Nitpick. Is there anything you want to nitpick, Neil? Before we get out of here, you know, I'm not in a real nitpicking mood today. Um, we got to catch you. We got to catch you. Uh, we got to catch you late at night. Get the nitpick. It, it helps. It helps. I am cranky late in the night. I'm a guy that that uh, that likes to get to bed, likes to get sleep consistent. Um, weekends are not good for me during the season. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> so no, so it, it, it's it's uh, you know, it, it's. It, if I had a nitpick right now, I'm frustrated by what used to be a, a staple for me when it came to predictions. The Steelers back-to-back home games. Um, you always saw them come out guns ablaze in, in the, the second of two consecutive home games, and even more so for the rare times they get three. I don't have faith in them anymore doing that. In fact, I think I said it on this show back earlier this season when they had two in a row. And I think they were worse in the second game than they were in the first. Um, yeah, the, the, the Vegas to Cincinnati stretch and then Denver to Seattle, you, you those two situations in which the, the second game um, against Cincinnati was just downright awful. That might be their worst game of the season. Uh, but to, the way they played against Seattle right away and then the way they played in the second half of that game, which has become kind of their, their calling card now, um, it, it's frustrating that they aren't able to put things together the way that they used to. And some of this is kind of advancing age type of stuff. But Lance, there was a time this team boat raced everybody they played at home. They, they crushed people if they were comfortable. When they had a quarterback in his prime, it's, uh, it's sad. You know, I, I uh, thoroughly enjoyed the Ben Roethlisberger era. I, I, I've seen every snap the guy has taken. I like to think that backwards and forwards. This is it for Ben. I, I don't, there's no way in the world he's playing next year. I don't care what happens. He, he's just not going to. And um, who knows if we'll even see that again, you know, it, it, who knows? Um, we legitimately uh, are, are likely to have a younger quarterback who's probably on the same level of effectiveness that Ben is uh, now. And that might go for the next two years. Who knows? Um, it's a team that is winning probably a little bit ahead of, of what you'd hope for their draft spot. But at the same time, it's not a great uh, – well, we say it now. I'm sure there will be three of them that go in the top five the way there are every year. But they don't look like great quarterback prospects coming in the draft. So one of them might fall to that 16, 17, 18 range, which is where I think it, the, the Steelers are going to end up. Um, you hope that that works out. But 
odds are really good. Mason Rudolph is their quarterback next year. And I can't help but think, Lance, we're, we're going to be talking a lot nostalgically about the Ben Roethlisberger days in Pittsburgh uh, next season. We don't have Ben anymore. You know, it, it's gone. He's on the field, but he's not the same guy anymore. And not really a nitpick, I guess, just sort of going off the, the mood. Yeah, I think like Steelers Freak said it, uh, talking about Mason Rudolph for a year is football purgatory. That might be a show. That might be a year of football where we just talk about issues and we just throw games and we just make it, you know, more a thematic program. Because, man, talking about Mason Rudolph um, every single game would be awful. But let me jump into my the last segment of the program before before we get out of here. Yeah, I said it. Yeah, I said it. And a lot of people aren't going to like this statement, but it's absolutely true. Mike Tomlin's a hell of a coach. And Mike Tomlin is a coach that's going to be in the Hall of Fame. I want to congratulate Mike Tomlin for reaching the 150 uh, the 150 win mark. He is 20th. Some coaches ahead of him are Steve Owens, Joe Gibbs, Bud Grant, Mike Holmgren, Shanahan, Parcells, Chuck Knoll, obviously, Marty Schottenhammer. Paul Brown, Curly Lambeau, of course, Don Shula, Tom Landry. And congratulations to Coach Tomlin. 15 years, 150 wins. I think he's the fastest to ever get to 150 wins in, in, in 15 years. He's a hell of a coach. He is one of the best hires and the best decisions that the Steelers have ever made. And I think he's, at the end of the day, I think he's going to be a Hall of Fame coach. And it's unfortunate that a lot of Steeler Nation still doesn't appreciate just how good of a coach he is. You've been in press boxes. I'm sure you've heard, um, you know, I think you've mentioned it. Uh, you, you've heard press guys say, you know, Mike Tomlin's a hell of a coach. And you've been like, well, you know, in Pitt, you know, it's mixed. You know, it goes back and forth. You know, people don't want them. Fans don't want them, whatever, blah, blah, blah. It's mixed. Like, like, but everybody else outside. Itching and venting, though. It, it's if you look at the bigger picture, frankly, and it, you're going to hear this a lot this offseason. I am absolutely floored by the fact that Mike Tomlin got a four game winning streak and probably five. I think they have better than average chance of, of winning this game. A five game winning streak with this roster, a five game winning streak with the 2019 roster, a five game winning streak with most of the years that he coached. I'm not sure if you realize that or not. Most of them have a, a four-game winning streak, but a, a good chunk of them went to five as well. He's done a, a tremendous job in the early stages of rebuilding this team, navigating them through sexy tanking, and putting them in a position to be better next season to have a future. If you don't think that that's skill, if you think that this offense is, is Najee Harris, this phenomenal player, I don't know what you're watching. I don't know what you're paying attention to. Mike Tomlin is the guy that, that has, the, has this team playing well above the sum of its parts. And that's not an easy thing to do. And he's been doing it for 15 years. So if you want to bitch and complain about clock management, fine. You don't know what it takes to lead a team, to lead anything. That's what Mike Tomlin does on a year-to-year -year basis. And he's proved that. I'm sorry he didn't win every Super Bowl. That kind of irritates me too. I really would have liked to see the Steelers win the Super Bowl every year. Nobody does that, okay? Belichick doesn't even do that. But Belichick is so far above and beyond the standard of anything in the NFL, comparing anything to him is, is ridiculous. Okay. When he slaughters Shula, Noel, any coach from uh, the past of, of this historic game, the guy is, he's just not a fair comparable to anybody. So if Mike Tomlin's greatest flaw is uh, not being able to beat Bel Bill Belichick, and still having a slightly above 500 record against John Harbaugh, probably the second best coach of this or third best coach of this era. I, I don't know what you want, but I, I <laughs> you want Urban Meyer to come in here? <laughs> He's doing a fantastic job. Um, David <laughs> Cully, the guy in Houston, that coach is available every year. He gets hired every year. Um, there, there are a lot of coaches that don't have anywhere close to the ability that Mike Tomlin does to lead a group of men on the field to become a unit to become better than who they are. And the, 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 the lack of respect that he gets, I understand just from the sense that every team that is less than 14 and two has a coaching problem. If you listen to the fans. Okay. I, I get that, but the consistency that he has, and, and perhaps it's frustrating that Tomlin's better at making a bad team decent than he is making a decent team. Excellent. Maybe that can be you. Maybe. 
but I would argue fantasy football grossly overrated how good this team was over the last few grossly overrated it. And Tomlin got plenty of success, plenty of run out of it, despite several kind of Johnny come lately one-off teams that came in and did really well. What's Doug Peterson doing nowadays? I remember there's a certain guy I argued with on Twitter all the time telling me how much better of a coach Doug Peterson was than, than Mike Tomlin. Like, okay, let's wait five years. Let's see what happens. Sean Payton is also a great coach. I don't think Mike McCarthy is a great coach, but somehow or other he, he surrounds himself with winners and, and he's able to win. Mike Tomlin is without question one of the top of, of this era in the game. And what we see now as the standard of a Hall of Fame resume, Tomlin has it. So, you know, complain as much as you want. The reality is this team isn't very good, shouldn't be five and three, definitely shouldn't be six and three, and they're probably going to be. You know, I think when it comes down to, and we're going to close the show, is that, you know, people have their expectations, which is fair. You can have them. But what people don't always do is sometimes your expectations aren't correct. And people think that, that their expectations are, and they aren't. You know, sometimes your expectations are wrong. Sometimes teams aren't as good as you think they are, and sometimes exactly. they're better than they you thought they were. You know, it's just your expectation. Sometimes your expectation is not on. But uh, uh, <laughs> and, and we're going to end it with Felicia's comment. Neil may not feel like nitpicking, but his rant mode is on point. And uh, I, I think the you, best Felicia. comment <laughs> to end the show is, Stay safe, Steelers family. Yes, stay safe. For some of you who are getting into the commute or some of you who are in your jobs already or already, just stay safe. Happy Veterans Day to everybody out there. And we're going to go ahead and conclude the show. And as always, tune in, tell a friend, and subscribe. Happy Veterans Day once again, and go Steelers.